0: Welcome to the American Centrist podcast, We're a week past a debate that left us with little to no new information and really just made me wonder if I would have been better off doing dishes and laundry that night. With six of the 12 candidates who will be on the Iowa ballot and just 11 short cold winter days represented, we're gonna dive into some of the issues that they glossed past and see if we can nail some predictions. With me, of course, co-host Jeff Link, Dave Kochel, and I wanna jump into a few things. So first off, how you guys doing tonight? Doing good.
1: Yeah, just just fine on a on a chilly, uh, chilly day.
0: So uh, I want to get into your takeaways from the debate. Uh, one of my first questions and then and then I'll let you guys riff on, on this debate here is uh, obviously there was the the Warren and, and Sanders. Uh, he said, she said. Uh, shortly after the debate, we had a Warren and Biden. He said, he said, he said. Uh, and now we have a Clinton slamming. Sanders uh is this level of mudslinging at this stage going to do anything other than help Trump Jeff you want to jump off with that
1: well I I think it would be hard to characterize this as mudslinging compared to what Trump said about his opponents in 16 this is a pillow fight and uh it it did get news because there there wasn't a lot of other uh back and forth in that in that debate um you know, of a personal nature, uh, I, I just, I, th- I think it's, it, it did have an impact. And we're going to talk about a, a poll that uh, came out right after the, the debate. Uh, people were watching and, and they were watching Sanders and Warren in particular. Um, and I, I think Sanders probably got the worse end of the deal uh, from that exchange. But, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it was,
2: it was that big of a, a moment. Uh, I mean, this is like, it was a bit of a pillow fight. Look, there, there's probably some truth in what they're both saying. Bernie probably thinks that, uh, you know, that Elizabeth can't win. A lot of people agree with him that Elizabeth uh, is not a good general election candidate. Now, however, he said that, uh, she retreats immediately to the identity politics that the Democrats are particularly good at. And I think he probably. Uh, didn't really help himself you know by making a characterization like that and interesting that she kind of drops that a week before uh the debate i wonder how it happened uh of course but i think she's been flagging a little bit lately and so she needed to do something to kind of juice the numbers and draw him out a little bit and create a conflict uh but at at the end of the day i don't think it actually uh It actually hurts him at all. I I don't know how much it helps Warren, except that it kind of gets her back into the news, gets her talked about, rallies some people around her. She did announce a couple of endorsements in Iowa uh, over the last couple of days. Other campaigns have as well. But in this final sprint, 13 days to go as we're taping this right now, you know, just about uh, anything you can do to. You know, to get a, a little bit of extra attention, get a leg up. That's what you're you're trying to do right now. So I, I think that's what that moment was about. I'm not sure she she, she delivered her line very well. Um, I'm not sure that it was uh, you know anything that's going to really draw a lot of blood on him though.
0: Okay. So so that was uh, that was my my personal big takeaway, Jeff. What uh, what moments really stood out for you? What hit you the most?
1: Well, I, I think I think the Warren sort of defense of. Um, Uh, a woman candidate for president was probably her best moment. She had a great line where she said, you know, the men on this stage had lost 10 elections and the women on this stage haven't lost any. Uh, I think that was probably the high point for her. Um, You know, there were other moments throughout the debate um, that that had decent, you know, sort of back and forth and and ideas. I I think uh, although Biden's entire debate um was not really memorable um he he didn't make any mistakes and i think he had a very strong closing and i think for those who stuck around till the end um and they like biden they they were probably very pleased uh with the way he closed i thought he he was very strong at the
0: end was it this this was the first uh debate where he didn't really make any mistakes probably yeah yeah so so uh since, since you brought up Warren's defense of, of a, a female candidate, let me put you on the spot a little bit. Do you think that in America today, with Trump being the opponent, uh, a female candidate is at a detriment to a male candidate in a general election? Not, a, not in the primary, but in a general election with Trump being the candidate. Not whether or not a woman could run the country. But is it a detriment in this sort of an election? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think
1: you do need a candidate, regardless of gender, uh, that can win back Trump voters. I think that's that's of paramount importance. There are others. Uh, there are other Democrats who think that that's not important, that, that what we really need to do is just run up the score in cities um that if we want to win back a state like wisconsin for instance we just have to increase turnout in milwaukee and madison uh i think i am in in the all of the above strategy category i think we do have to increase turnout in cities but we also have to have a candidate who can um who can reach out to people who voted for barack obama twice and voted for donald trump in 2016 and say hey look Uh, We're not going to be condescending. We're not going to look down on you. Uh, We're going to look to you for uh, solutions, and we're going to listen. And uh, we want to lift you up. Uh, And I think that's kind of the campaign that Amy Klobuchar has been running. Uh, She's specifically saying in her advertising right now that she's won 40 counties that Donald Trump won in Minnesota. Um, I I think it's a smart appeal that Klobuchar is making right now.
0: Okay. So, uh, Dave, what was your what was your big takeaway from the debate?
2: Uh, I, mean, I think I sort of agree with with Jeff. Uh, first of all, there's no question that a woman could win the White House. It just needs to be the right woman. Um, and I think um, the, the argument against Warren would be Massachusetts, very liberal, um, you know, Harvard professor. Uh, and I, I, I think they are, you know, she, she's also but she's also, you know, got a pretty strong populist message. So I, I don't know how it'll play out, but I can could, I could see the argument that she might have a little more trouble in a general. I kind of agree with Jeff that Amy Klobuchar uh, makes some sense for just the sort of cultural and demographic reasons. Most of these counties that did the biggest uh, flip between, between Obama and Trump are those upper Mississippi Valley counties. Uh, not just in Iowa, but also in Wisconsin and in southeastern Minnesota and in western Illinois. Now, Illinois is not going to be a swing state, but uh, there's a whole big band of counties there uh, in the Upper Mississippi Valley that made a, a, a huge switch uh, from from Obama to Trump, and that's the kind of counties that Klobuchar, Klobuchar has run pretty pretty strong, and I think she has a better kind of cultural uh, sort of identification with with uh, that part of the country. And if you've got to win back Michigan and Wisconsin and not lose Minnesota, by the way, Minnesota is probably the other state that's on the chopping block that Trump would like to go win. Uh, And that's a state that he might be able to win against someone like Warren. So I think Klobuchar has a very strong electability argument. I agree that Biden had his strongest debate. Uh, I don't think that's what's uh, driving him right now though. As long as he can keep his head down, keep out of the way of these bullets that are flying around, clearly what's happened is the the Democratic primary electorate has kind of, you know, they got out the Tinder and they went on a dating spree and they kind of dated everybody. And and now they're kind of coming home to the safe harbor, to the kind of boring guy that's got the steady job and that, uh, you know, that you want to take home to to mom. And it seems like the, the rise that he has had hasn't really been due to any strong performance from him. It's been because I think he is a he's a safe harbor for Democrats who really want to win this election in the worst way. And as long as he's not making mistakes and he's he's got an argument that Trump is most scared of him and going after him, the whole, you know, Hunter Biden thing and all this Ukraine stuff. It, it sort of makes sense to people that, you know, that Trump is concerned about Biden. Uh, so I, I feel like that's why people are going back to him. And we haven't talked about Buttigieg. You know, he he had another very good debate in terms of just you know, he's very smooth. He he uses inspiring language. He is uh, he's a, he's kind of a candidate that can hit him hit on all cylinders. But he wasn't really uh, a big factor in the debate because of the fireworks going on between Warren and Sanders. And, and with Klobuchar being able to at least claim a little bit of momentum lately, although it really hasn't showed up much in the polls, I mean, she's ticked up some. Um, I think Buttigieg is the one who's kind of gotten forgotten a little bit here in the last few days. So it'd be interesting to see what happens over the next two weeks now that you have Warren and uh, Klobuchar and Sanders basically tied up in the Senate uh, on impeachment. you know What happens now when you've got basically Biden and, and uh, Buttigieg? Uh, you know, out there able to campaign much more full-time.
0: So bef- before we get to the, the impeachment elements of this, because I think that does play into it pretty strongly, a couple of uh, questions. Uh, you both identified uh, Amy Klobuchar as somebody who could take Trump voters from the Republicans to the Democratic Party. Is she, uh, and, and maybe this will launch us into the the results of this poll you have, Jeff, is she a viable candidate? In the primary right now, Jeff, you want to lead it?
1: Uh, well, viable is kind of a loaded, loaded word, uh, in, particularly in the context of the Iowa caucus, because you, in order to reach viability—that's uh, an actual term—you uh, have to have fifteen percent of the of the group that shows up in your precinct. So for example, if there's 100 people in your caucus, uh, if you don't have 15 people in your Klobuchar group, you, you can't remain a group. You can't elect a delegate to the county convention. You have to join a different group. You can either go uncommitted or you could join uh, another group that's viable. Um, so she, we we did conduct a poll. We we. Um, uh, release results this week. Uh, we had klobuchar at 11 percent in that poll, which is uh, inching closer and closer to that threshold of 15. Um, if she gets to 15 in in precincts around the state, she will win a bunch of delegates. Um, kind of rough part of the of the caucus system is if you're at twelve percent, you don't get any delegates. so it's it's a big, difference, uh, between 12 and 15% under the, under the rules. And, uh, you know, it, it will be interesting to see if she can get to viability.
0: Is that, uh, is that 11%, uh, how closely related to that is, uh, how she's doing in national polls?
1: Not, not at all, uh, related. So this was an Iowa poll, the focus on rural America poll that we released this week.
0: Okay. Uh, so so Dave what's your what's your take on those numbers
2: Well first of all Coldachar I think is at about 3 nationally so that's not really what uh, what we should be looking at here because the the Iowa and the New Hampshire result will completely reshuffle the race if some surprises happen. So I'll do my Andrew Yang impression and do a little math for you. There are 1,681 precincts in Iowa, and the, the difference in size between the smallest precinct and the largest precinct is vast, about 30 or 40 to 1. Um, so Amy Klobuchar could actually reach viability in, say, 1,200 rural precincts, and if she misses viability in the largest two hundred precincts, she's still hitting only about forty or fifty percent of the state population. So uh, this is a real question: whether these urban precincts, the large precincts in Johnson County in, in Polk County, in Blackhawk County, if if she does well in urban precincts and can get to viability, then she could push that number up close to, you know, being in that sort of first tier of four or five people, uh, if she's only running well in places uh, offline ahead of time, we're talking, uh, Jeff's talking about Albia, if she's doing well in places like Albia, Iowa, there just aren't enough people there to really drive a big number. So um, I think she's got a real structural problem of, you know, she she can't get uh, big enough support in some of those really large precincts. Uh, in you know where where there are just you know gonna be a couple thousand people uh, at a combined caucus, uh, I think it's gonna be real trouble. Um, but uh, you, you know look, this is gonna be a um, this going be a very interesting night. there's a lot, there's a lot that will happen. It's gonna take a few hours. I think people need to be prepared to stay up late to see results coming in. And of course, as we probably talked about last week or a couple of weeks ago, there's, you know, there are really going to be three numbers reported that night. So for junkies, this is going to be like, uh, you know, I mean, get your uh, get your Red Bull out. Prepare to stay up till three in the morning because it's going to be a lot of fun watching things come in.
0: Okay, so let's uh, let's shift gears here a little bit and talk about uh, the impeachment for a second, and not necessarily the trial itself. But we're going to lose three candidates off the trail. Is that is that correct? Four. Yep. Four. Bennett. Senator (laughs) Bennett. Oh
2: yeah. Okay. 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 Checking checking Bennett's uh, Real Clear Politics average here. He is polling at one percent. So.
0: Okay. So. For 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 uh, the reality effect, uh, Warren, Sanders, Klobuchar are, are off the trail for anywhere between six hours and two weeks. <laughs> uh, how does this how does this uh, affect their their campaign and and ultimately the general?
1: Well, I think I think one of two things will happen. Uh, the first, and I think the most likely case, is. Um, that the race becomes frozen during the trial, nothing moves, um, that everyone kind of waits to see what happens. Um, and you know, there, there have been moments like this in, in other campaigns where, uh, maybe it's waiting for a debate or waiting for a poll to come out or there's something that where you get the the collective attention of voters basically to hit the pause button and i think there's a really good chance that we're going to hit the pause button on this trial Um, and there's also a good chance that uh mitch mcconnell is going to jam this thing through as fast as he can and it's not going to last uh till caucus day uh the the second Possibility is that uh, rather than hitting the pause button, you're going to have um, these three senators stuck in Washington in a in a trial that that people view as perfunctory and that is just pretext for Mitch McConnell uh, giving. Trump the vote that he wants and, and acquitting him of the, of the impeachment charges brought by the House. Uh, and then you have Biden and Buttigieg uh, rolling around New Hampshire and Iowa making gains uh, over the next 13 days. I, I think that's a little less likely. I, I sort of think everything's going to be paused and people are going to watch what's going on uh, with the trial. Uh, but I, it's going to be one of those two scenarios, I believe.
2: Let me add a third option here. Uh, if I'm managing any of the campaigns of the candidates out in D.C. stuck in the impeachment hearing, I'm going to send them out to the cameras every single time we get a break. I'm going to have them get as much cable time as possible, uh, because a lot of these primary voters and caucus goers are watching this uh, breathlessly. They're going to watch every twist and turn. And if they are being viewed as relevant and they're you know, taking part in it and they're slinging away on their message... Uh, during the hearing, they might actually do themselves some good. I don't think they'll be penalized at all for for basically going back to Washington and doing their jobs, because I think most uh, most of the primary voters will will be expecting that of them. But it's an opportunity for them if they if they take advantage of it to run out to the cameras and you know go find Dana Bash and just, you know, start selling your message every chance you get throughout the entire process. Um, and I expect to see a line of them actually, uh, you know, behind the MSNBC and CNN cameras. And if they're smart, actually, they'd go find the Fox reporters, too, because there's still some uh, older Iowa Democrat caucus goers who watch Fox News as well. I wouldn't be avoiding that. But I think there's a there's a chance for them to stay in the conversation, uh, particularly because, you know, real hardcore politicos are going to be watching those proceedings as they unfold.
0: So is there any uh, scenario where McConnell actually makes the the, the trial go as long as possible in order to take focus and attention off of the caucus and to keep these people off the trail a little bit longer
2: no there's no but no McConnell views this all as a negative. And uh, he's gonna—it's gonna—it's like ripping off a band-aid. He's gonna want to get it done as fast as he can possibly get it done. He's already had to just today make a, a concession to a couple of his Republican kind of uh, mavericks that that uh, you know he would extend to three days uh, the uh, the period of time which the uh, House managers can present the case instead of two days, and the uh, Democrats will have. Or excuse me, the uh, Trump uh, folks will have three days as well. So he's already kind of given in on that. But it's not something that he really wants to do. He wants to get back to business and he wants to get this over with as quickly as possible. I don't think he wants to see a sideshow. Maybe the uh, folks in the White House want to see, you know, witnesses and Hunter Biden and and all that stuff. Uh, I think McConnell sees no upside in that. And I think he'll fight uh, against that at at all costs. I don't think the White
1: House wants witnesses. They want this over as quickly as possible also.
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right, but if they if they if they get witnesses, then they're going to want to turn it into a complete shit show and bring in everybody they're, you know, they're going to be subpoenaing Hunter Biden and and Hillary Clinton and we'll go back and talk about Benghazi and anything any dust they can throw up in the air. They will they will try and do if we get to that point, but I I, I think it is in in McConnell's interest to try to get this over with as quickly as possible
0: so in general the, the prediction on impeachment is uh we're going to fly through it as fast as possible and and no sort of measurable effect coming out of it uh and the the past however many months of of dealing with it have have been uh, an unsatisfying sandwich.
1: Until yesterday, I would have wholeheartedly agreed. Um, But I was kind of struck by that CNN poll that said 51% of Americans want to see Trump removed from office. And, you know, I always expected that number to be around 47 or 46. And I think to get to 51... uh, is is significant, um, and and if you look inside of the numbers and the age breakouts and where independent voters lie, I mean it's real trouble for Trump. And the the big issue is not for Trump um, because I uh, you know it's going to be hard to get two thirds uh, vote to remove him from office. But but for Senator Gardner in uh, Dave's adopted home of Colorado, or for Senator Collins or Ernst from Iowa, uh, you know, if that number creeps up at all, uh, it's going to be real trouble for them to, to vote to acquit.
2: Well, first of all, that national poll doesn't mean very much to uh, candidates who are kind of running in their own state. Like, For example, the Iowa poll uh, from a week and a half ago suggests that Iowans are opposed to impeachment and re- removal by a 48 to 40 margin. So I don't think that that uh, puts uh, Senator Ernst into any trouble slot. I think the numbers are probably a little bit worse in Cory Gardner's district, but I think it's a case-by-case basis. But but all, all the more reason, I think, uh, if that number does keep ticking up, all the more reason for McConnell to just want to get it over with as fast as possible so that, so that we can move on to other things.
0: Okay. So a uh, couple of things happened in you know, the past week or so, uh, I wanna get you guys' take on whether or not these will affect the the caucuses and, and ultimately the campaign. Uh, so on the trade front, which seems to have maybe flown under most people's radar, uh, USMCA passed the Senate and uh, Trump also signed the China deal, right? So uh, who do those help? Who do those hurt? Do they well, help Trump? Does yeah. anyone care, I, I mean?
2: Helps Trump. Uh, uh, Gives them a talking point, uh, particularly uh, with Democratic support for USMCA, that they were actually able to get something done instead of just the bluster and the threats and the you know t- tweets back and forth. Uh, it it proves that during you know the period of impeachment, they were actually able to to move something and get people together and, and accomplish something. Uh, China uh, phase one, although you know the, the details are not very uh, evident yet. I think um, Trump has gotten a pass on the China trade stuff for a long time, much to Jeff's dismay, and anything that looks like movement, and this does, is going to help him and buy him even more time, so I don't think that uh, the China issue is going to be a net negative for Trump in the general election, Um, but we we certainly don't know what the details are, Um, and and I I think, you know, there are a lot of farmers in Iowa and elsewhere who are going to Kind of digging into those and seeing how it actually impacts them, but I think the politics of it uh, are are very beneficial to the administration and to the Republicans who have been kind of pushing him on this. I think it helps it helps uh, some of these rural senators uh, with a, with a talking point that you know there's there's movement now, things are getting done, and for the first time, uh, you know the, the Chinese have kind of come back to the table, and there's there's some progress, even though we don't we don't really know what it is.
1: Well, so uh, it's not surprising that Dave would say we don't know any of the details. We know, we know a few of the details, and the details are really problematic for Trump and for uh, Republican senators. Um, we, we know that there's no enforcement mechanism in the China deal. So uh, as long as the Chinese are satisfied with what Trump's doing, uh, this deal will stay in place. As soon as Trump does something that the Chinese don't like, they're going to get out of the deal. Uh, because there's no enforcement. Um, the other thing that we know is that China has agreed to make purchases of ag products and other products for, for a period of two years. Uh, that sounds good, uh, but again, there's no enforcement mechanism in this deal. Um, they won't ever talk about an enforcement mechanism because it's not there. And that's what really gives these uh, documents teeth. That's what makes a signing ceremony worthwhile, and that's not in this deal. Um, we know that detail, but but Dave doesn't want to admit that. So, well,
2: Jeff, uh, I, I'm, I'm talking about politics here. This is a political show. If you, if you see what the Wall Street Journal reported two days ago, the Farm Journal did a poll of 1,283 farmers and ranchers, and Trump's support among farmers and ranchers hit 83%, the highest support he's ever had from from rural voters, from farmers and ranchers whose business it is uh, that you know wh- whose business has been affected by these tariffs. So whatever whatever the messaging that Democrats have used on this, is not working. So my point is, uh, the politics for this are very good for Trump. I I don't think that there's enough done with China yet to to get us out of the potential long term problem and losing the markets. And I've argued. Uh, I've argued the position uh, when we're talking p- about policy on free trade. Uh, I don't think that what uh, the president did was a good thing. I'm saying, and and I think you have to acknowledge that, that the politics of USMCA and phase one of China have been very good. And that poll was taken just at the time that that deal was being uh, signed. And so I, I, there's nowhere for him to go but actually up, I think, because as long as they think, as long as farmers and ranchers and people who depend on rural America are... Are uh, sort of watching this unfold. If they think that he's actually getting something done with China, they're going to give him credit for it. And that, it's just—it's just the politics of it right now. I don't think you can argue against that.
1: Well, of course, the the timing of the poll is at the high point of the uh, of the hope. That there's something real here. And when they realize that there is nothing real here, that's when those numbers are gonna start to drop. And I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. You, you've been about saying this for
2: two you've been saying this for two years, Jeff. It's it's not happening. It's just not happening. These numbers are not moving. Which numbers?
1: The export numbers?
2: A- agricultural support for President Trump. You've been saying well, you've been saying the farmers are gonna give up on him and walk away and it's not happening. It's just It hasn't happened, it's not going to happen. They think he's actually getting something done.
1: And, and what I'm saying is that when they realize that this is more hyperbole, just like the hyperbole that Trump used when he said he was gonna stand up for ethanol producers over oil companies, uh, he lied. And there are several farmers and there are several corn growers in the state of Iowa that have called Trump out on this. It's the beginning of the, uh, of breaking the, the logjam here. Uh, Trump has used his uh, bully pulpit to uh, abuse and bully uh, people into just uh, agreeing with his positions, whether it's on trade or whether it's on these other things. And eventually that's going to crumble. And, and I think you know that. And you're just hoping that the clock uh, runs on this election before people uh, be, get, get to see this in full force.
2: Well, the good news is we're going to see how this plays out in about ten months.
0: So uh, <laughs> let me let me circle us back to the election here. Another uh, uh, another another topic sort of getting into the spotlight, and I think maybe more people notice this one is uh, uh, second amendment, and for the first time in a while, it's, it's in the spotlight for something other than a shooting. Uh, there's a big rally in Virginia. How does that play into a, uh, an early Democratic primary where pretty much all of the candidates have more or less the same stance on Second Amendment? Jeff, you want to take a stab at that?
1: Well, I mean, let's start by uh, talking about the, the images from the, the uh, rally in Richmond um i've had the chance to work in Richmond so i'm very familiar with the with the grounds there and and the kind of attitudes about guns in 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 the commonwealth of virginia um it it's it, it was an interesting uh observation just watching uh these guys walking around in camo and and uh they're cameras on their helmets and all this sort of thing with with their automatic weapons uh kind of strapped to their chest. Uh, I am just really automatic. Thank- uh, well <laughs> who knows just to be accurate. Who just knows to be- um, I would imagine that there were automatic weapons <laughs> roaming around the uh the Capitol that day. I- I'm just happy that no one got hurt and that nothing escalated, uh, because that could have been really, really problematic. Um I I was working in the legislature in Virginia in 1995 uh, when the Republicans made an effort to legalize uh, carrying guns into bars and churches. Um, It was an actual debate that happened on the floor of the Virginia legislature. And there was a Democratic leader. uh, The House Majority Leader was from Roanoke. And he says uh, during that debate, he said, you know, I don't understand why the Republicans want to allow um, guns into bars and churches? He says, "Heck, even in Dodge City, you had to check your gun at the door before you went into a bar."
0: <laughs> so, so how does uh, the the spotlight play in the the Democratic primary when the Democrats need to take some of the Trump voters back? Right? Is there they all have the same the same stance on a very hot button topic? so you know outside of the the optics of the event which you know uh, i think everybody's got their 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 take on c- can any of the candidates use their views on the second amendment to get ahead a little bit in in a country that that's pretty vocal about it on both sides of the fence
2: i th- i think it was a non event i'll echo what jeff said it's just a it's a great thing that um you know it didn't it didn't turn into another Charlottesville or anything even remotely close to that. Um, But I I wonder how many of these candidates had their press releases ready to go. Uh, But since nobody really sent anything, and there wasn't much commentary, following it up, the the media was, you know, had people there kind of on hand ready for things. And, and it looked like uh, nothing really ever escalated, which is, uh, I think, a a very good thing. Um, It it just seemed to me like uh, a non event that actually didn't really present any opportunity to move any numbers for anybody. And you don't really have a, you know, you had Beto O'Rourke some months ago, who was kind of trying to be the champion on this issue. There really isn't anybody now who's, I think, trying to stand out. Um, and it's, it doesn't seem to be uh, the kind of thing that people are are seeking to draw distinctions on. I think what you're seeing now is there's a bit of a stylistic distinction being drawn between Buttigieg and and, uh, and Warren and Sanders. And, and Biden, there's some Medicare for all distinctions being drawn, but to me, um, guns have kind of faded into the into the background and didn't really present an opportunity for anybody to to move any numbers.
1: Yeah, and and Lou, to answer your specific question, um, I, I think if you voted for Trump uh, because of the Second Amendment, I'm guessing you probably didn't vote for Obama in eight or twelve. So uh, there 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 are certainly Trump voters. Uh, who are not gettable by any Democrat, no matter what they do or say. Uh, but there is a small slice of Trump voters who are. And, and I don't think guns is their top priority. It might be the economy. It might be health care. Um, there are other issues that matter more. If, if guns is the number one issue, they're probably not gettable by anybody in the Democratic field.
0: I might I might disagree with that from from some people I've spoken to, but I don't I don't have as much polling data as you do. Uh, I just from some some people I've spoken to that is a, a key issue where they won't go to the Democratic side. Um, so before we get into predictions, uh, I have I have one last question before predictions. As we look at the uh, the fifteen percent margin that's required to become viable, which candidates' fortunes are tied together? Right as 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 second choices start kicking in, who goes? To, who pushes other candidates up when they falter? Uh, Jeff, you want to start there? Well, uh, again, talking about the
1: focus on rural America poll that we released this week, uh, we found that if if uh, if you only look at the second choice of people who aren't viable, right? And as Dave knows. Um, if you're in a viable group this year, you're not allowed to move. So if if we understand uh, that Biden is going to be viable in in most of these precincts, we we shouldn't we shouldn't ask the Biden people who their second choice is because it won't matter. So we only ask the people who supported somebody on their first choice who's not viable, and the the top second choice is Joe Biden. Then next is Pete Buttigieg, but it's really close just as the just as the first choice is really close not surprisingly the second choice is really close but biden has an edge as the first choice and he also has an edge as the second choice
0: okay so uh so let's get into predictions here uh jeff let's start with you who uh who's coming out on top of iowa
1: well, uh, I said this a couple weeks ago, and even after our poll, I still think this is the case. Uh, I think it's it's plausible that any one of the top four could finish first. I think it's plausible that any of the top four could finish fourth. Uh, I, I still think there's that much movement possible in this race. I don't think that we've uh, reached a consensus at this point. Um, if if I had to guess today, I would say that the that the edge that Biden has, uh, is something that he could hang on to. Um, one, one thing I would point out from our poll that, that pushes me in that direction. We asked a question that, that said, um, regardless of who you're supporting now, uh, who do you think is best equipped to handle, uh, the, the U S relationship with Iran and other global hotspots around the world? And, um, Uh, 46% chose Biden. Uh, The next closest was uh, Senator Warren at 14, and then uh, Sanders and Buttigieg at 13. So there's just a huge gap on this uh, foreign policy question. And I I just think Iowa has always been dovish, number one, and number two, focused on foreign policy in these caucus races. And I think that gives uh, Biden an edge.
0: Is there uh, is there somewhere where the the polling data that you pulled is available uh, for people to, to read? Is there is there a yeah. website or a link to it you can share with us? Yeah, if, uh,
1: if you just go to fo- yeah, focus, yeah, or you can check our Twitter feed, which is at focus on rural. Um, you'll you can see all the data in that poll.
0: Okay, so uh, just just to put you on the spot, and I, I recognize things are moving a lot. If you, uh, if if I hold your feet to the fire, and you got to pick one candidate, who's walking away? I think Biden. Okay, Dave, let me get your prediction.
2: <laughs> I can't believe we're going to agree. Um, first of <laughs> all, I never, I never thought I would get back around to saying Biden's got the advantage going into the. Iowa caucus is uh, you know less than two weeks out, but I my guess is that he finishes second in the first uh, reported number, which is the initial the initial uh, you know raw number support, but that he finishes first in the second raw number and first in the number of earned. Uh, Delegate equivalent. So I actually think that that uh, you know whoever whoever finishes ahead of him, I don't know who it will be. Uh, It could be. I think Jeff's right. It could be Sanders. It could be Warren. It actually could be Buttigieg as well. Uh, But I think his ability to grow between first ballot and second ballot is uh, the greatest. And. So uh, it'll be close. And then I see him squeaking out a delegate win. And it it was significant the other day when the AP said that they will declare the winner of the Iowa caucuses based upon the delegate count. Now, you know, every campaign is going to argue their own spin coming out of this. Uh, And so if someone were to win the popular vote and lose the delegate vote, uh, you know, they've got a pretty good talking point. But I do think, um, you know, if Biden grows his support Uh, as much as I think he potentially can between the first and second round, uh, he'll, he'll emerge, uh, victorious on caucus night. And I can't believe that I'm actually predicting that, but that's where we are.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, so what do you guys have for, for last thoughts on, uh, on this, uh, primary as we, as we launch off in election season here?
1: Well, I, I would just say one thing, uh, about the, the role of Iowa in this process, um, you know, Iowa typically has not been known as the state that picks the nominee. Uh, our our job is really to winnow the field, um, and we started this with a with this race with a field of twenty four or twenty five candidates. Um, if if we winnow the field down to four or five or six, um, I think Iowa has done its job and. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I, like I said, any one of them could win. Any one of them could get fourth. It's, it's going to be a very, very close race. And as Dave said, a very long night, but I think basically there's going to be five or six tickets out of Iowa this year. And when you start with 24 candidates, um, you know, that's a winnowing process in itself.
2: Okay. Dave, last thoughts. Uh, My, my, my thought is that we're going to, Potentially see this race go down to two people uh, after Iowa, and particularly after Iowa and New Hampshire. My, my guess is that Biden and Sanders, if they split the first two, and the news is all Biden the first week and all Sanders the next week, I think that Nevada and South Carolina are going to choose between those two candidates, and and then this race will be over pretty quick. Biden assuming he is strongest in. South Carolina and maybe uh, Sanders is a little stronger in Nevada. if He's got union support, which is really critical there. So, to me, it could be a two-person race pretty quick. Um, if Biden were to win three of the first four, then I think the nomination is over. It wraps up pretty quickly. Sanders will stick around to preserve any delegates he can continue to win, and you know, go into the convention and try to, you know, extract, you know whatever he's looking for from the platform. But to me, uh, this, this race has really come into focus the last couple of weeks and I think it might be, uh, after Iowa, it might be a two-person race and I think he's, you could see Biden and Sanders duking it out the rest of February and then into March uh, when it, to me it seems as though Biden should be the, the victor if he, does, if he does well in the first couple of states.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, I think this is where we're going to wrap up the American Centrist Podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank Jeff and Dave for joining me on this project to try and take a deeper dive into the issues and policies that both sides of the aisle are pushing. And as Iowa gets into full swing, thus kicking off the election cycle, I'll ask one last thing. Dig deeper, ask why, and above all, don't blindly follow somebody else's narrative. As always, thanks for joining us. Jeff, Dave, thanks. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Lou. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Lou.